So I want you to think with me on this question tonight. How does a church stay on track? How does a church stay on track? Now, I know that that question begs for further analysis. What does on track mean? We'll come to that before it's all said and done. But how does a church, over the long haul, year after year after year, how does a church stay on track? And just as I hope you're starting to process that, let me change the question. How does a Christian stay on track? From one year to the next, from one month to the next, from one week, from one day to the next. What does it take for a Christian to stay on track in their spiritual lives the way they should? Take your Bibles and go with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, as we continue our series on praying with Jesus, and now we're in the second major part of that. In John 17, we find what some people have called the high priestly prayer. Others, probably more fittingly, call it the Lord's Prayer or the prayer that the Lord prayed. Um, And the other one is probably better called the model prayer. But in John 17, we come to the end of a long section. It really started in John 14. Uh, with a series of discourses, a a discussion that Jesus is having with his disciples, all of which comes here at the end of his time before he goes to be crucified. And in chapter 17, there's this shift that occurs from the discourse and the conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, and then suddenly Jesus begins to pray. And so in verse 1, John 17, when Jesus had spoken these words... He lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, now the rest of verse 1, I'll read in just a moment, but the rest of verse 1 is the introduction to this prayer. We really could stretch that out and go all the way through verse 5, but that's really kind of pushing an introduction because Jesus gets very pointed in verses 2 through 5 and he begins to pray for himself and then later after that he'll pray for the disciples who are there and then After that, he'll pray for those disciples and those who they will reach, which reaches all the way down to us. Uh, This is a passage of Scripture that is dense, and we could be and may well be in this for a while on Wednesday nights. Uh, I'm finding it difficult to get very far because there's so much here, I don't want us to miss much. So I'm not going to worry about how much ground we cover, uh, at least not right now. But I am always concerned about how much the ground covers us because this is dense stuff as it comes to relate to the Christian life and how we live it. So the question that hangs out there is how do we stay on target, on track as a church, as individuals, uh, as we work our way through our day-to-day lives? Let me give you a corollary kind of a question to that. What is the purpose of First Baptist Church? Now, I know some churches who have that laid out. I've pastored churches and even led churches to make some statements along these lines as it relates to a constitution and bylaws uh, where the church comes to it and says, okay, so what is our purpose? And usually what happens is we get this elaborate, flowing kind of seminary-worthy kind of a statement that nobody remembers. 
So let's try to be, I don't want to be simple tonight. I don't want to be simplistic, but I do want us to, to kind of boil it down because what I want to do with us tonight in the few minutes that we have is I want to go to some of the base level truths of the Christian life as it relates to how we achieve our purpose. And we find that as it bubbles to the surface here in the introduction part of this prayer that Jesus prays. Uh, if you go and read very many biblical scholars who have studied this passage, you'll find them say things like, this is where we see the heart of God. As Jesus prays to his Father, let's not forget Jesus is God the Son. He's praying to God the Father, and it gives us this, uh, as some would say, where, where the, the veil parts a little bit for us, and we see the heart of God on display as Jesus prays to his Father. This dense stuff that helps us immeasurably in our Christian lives if we'll just pause long enough to let it get covering us. So the question of the day is, what is your purpose as a Christian? What is our purpose as a church? And how do we work our way through that? Let me go ahead and read through verse 5. I'll just tell you now, I'll make a few references that's kind of towards the end of this, uh, verses 3, 4, and 5. But for the most part, we're going to be in verses 1 and 2 tonight. So let me go back and read from verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Boy, there's some stuff there. And I hope that you'll be studying devotionally in this passage as we're doing it on, uh, on Wednesday nights. So let's do this. I want us to, I've asked you about your purpose, but I want us to pause tonight and, and kind of nail down a little bit about the distinction between role and purpose. So role is... Well, let, let me just give you an online definition. This Webster Miriam online definition of role is a character or a part played by a performer. A secondary definition is a function or a position. Let me give you an example. Uh, since Teresa and I have been here now, we have seen a group of actors who are students at Coronado High School. You'll remember, most of you will remember that uh, as after the flooding and all that occurred in southeast Texas, that Coronado High School drama uh, got together and did uh, an, a presentation based on It Is Well With My Soul. And you remember that? And so they, those kids came here and they put on that. And so I saw those high school kids as they assumed the roles of different characters in that story. Now, probably maybe a month or six weeks after they did that here, Teresa and I were invited to go to a presentation at Coronado High School of the drama department as they did another play. And so we went to see that and saw the same kids who were playing different roles. Okay, The one drama, dramatic presentation was finished. Those kids continue on with the next one, but it's a, an entirely different kind of presentation, entirely different kind of uh, play, and so their roles were different. 
but it was the same kids. And it was kind of kind of neat for me to watch these kids and begin to, you know, have discussions with them. Well, then after that, some of those same kids were part of our living Christmas tree. And so some of those kids were the ones who were doing the sweater song. Remember that? All right? And they played their role well. Those kids, at least, the ones that I'm thinking about, four or five of them particularly, they don't have any trouble getting up in front of a group of people and hiding behind the role and presenting it in a way that sells the character. Role has this about it. It tends to be fluid, which means it's changing. It's like water. Water conforms to whatever kind of container you're trying to put it in, unless you freeze it. But those kids and those people, those roles that we all play, have a tendency to change. Now, we're going to get to purpose in just a moment, but let's kind of nail down this whole idea of role for just a second. It is fluid. It is changing. Let me use myself as an example. As the pastor of First Baptist Church, my role here uh, changes regularly. Okay, in case you're not too sure about that. Maybe you're not sure I know what my role is. Uh, let me put it to you this way. When I go to a meeting of the El Paso Baptist Association, and I go to those uh, often enough, when I walk into those meetings, I go as the pastor of First Baptist Church of El Paso. Okay? But I'm going to go from this meeting into a finance committee meeting for our church in about 20 minutes or so. And my role in our finance committee meeting is much different than my role with the El Paso Baptist Association, right? And when I walk into that finance committee meeting, my role there is much different than it is on Sunday mornings when I grow, go up into the pulpit and preach, okay? So even though I'm the same guy and I'm working out my faith, living the Christian life on a day-to-day basis, there is this fluctuating role. There are consistencies in it. There are these themes that are in it. I'm pastor of First Baptist Church. Teresa and I went out to eat last night and sat across the table for some people who are not members here. They found out who we were. They got up and ran out. No, they didn't either. They, uh, but I functioned in my role as I met these people and talked to them about our church. You with me? All right. So because I know my role, I want to know if you know your role. Now, this is basic in the Christian life, right? And one of the, th- I, I was talking with some people not too long ago about marriage and how interesting it is that we don't, as a rule in our society, put a whole lot of emphasis on people who are about to get married uh, have, going into it with a good understanding of what their role is as a married person. But if they don't have their role right, then they're going to have trouble in that marriage. If there's not some kind of an awareness that says, okay, this is who I am, this is what I'm supposed to be, or supposed to, the, the role that I'm supposed to, the character, the part that I'm supposed to be uh, playing here, then it, then it creates problems. So, with that in mind, one of the regular questions that I get as a pastor from people who come to our church, whether it's here or places I've been, what can I do 
at First Baptist Church? Here's another way to ask that question. What's my role going to be at that church? You just need to know, one of the things that I tell people who want to join our church, if I have the chance to talk to them ahead of time and we have a sit-down discussion, one of the things that I always build into it at the back end somewhere is, listen, if you don't want to join our church and get busy and get to work, you might want to find another church. You know why I say that? Because I understand biblically what the role of a Christian is in the church. Every one of us has a role to play in the kingdom of God. Now, we could, and maybe at some point we will do some kind of study on spiritual gifts, but every church needs its people, its Christians, its members to function in their gift. There's a role to play that God has divinely equipped you and empowered you to play. I'm not meaning like play like play around, but a church needs its members to function in their gifts and in the role that they have. So some people are really good at hospitality. I'm not that guy, okay? I'm okay with that. I don't feel guilty about that uh, because that, that's just not, a, I might have been cut out that way, but I wasn't glued together right if I am because I, I don't, I have to work at that, Okay? Some people, on the other hand, do hospitality incredibly well, but you put them in front of a group of people and say, hey, now we want you to teach for an hour, they'll just lay down and die right there because that's not their role. That's not their gift. So I want to make sure when we come to talk about our purpose individually but also corporately, I want to make sure that we understand this whole difference between what a role is and what our purpose is. One of the things that ought to be, now remember, we're praying with Jesus here, and I'm going to show you where I'm getting some of this here in just a moment, but one of the things that should be an ongoing, regular part of your prayer life is, what is my role in the kingdom of God? Where is it that I should plug in? In this church where God has called me to be a member, where should I function? How should I do that? And if you come up with just drawing a blank and you don't have any idea, I'm going I'm to put Dr. Nickel on the spot, but I'm going to jump in there right there with him. If you don't know where your spot is and what your role is, talk to one of us or both of us, and we will help you flesh that out and figure it out. But as a church, if God calls us to do something, he always equips us to get it done, and he does that by equipping people to step in in their gifts and in their role and we're better off because of it. So that's one of the things that ought to be part of your ongoing prayer life is what is my role. I want you to, sh- I want you to see here where I'm getting this out of this passage. And I'm going to tell you that we're talking about Jesus here. All right? And that, just so you know, nobody else is like Jesus. All right? And so uh, you'll see what I'm talking about here in just a second. Again, verse 2, but I want to come to it through verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And now verse 2 picks up, and it's, it's attached to that last part of verse 1. It's an, it's an elaboration, if you will. And Jesus goes on, glorify your son that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh. To give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Now those are 
this is why I kind of highlight the fact this is Jesus we're talking about. Um, Those are kind of role-related statements. God has given him this to do. It's, It's what he did and only he could do in this particular case. Jump down to verse 4 in the last part of verse 4. We see this a little better here. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. One of the things that we get from Jesus as we see it in this part of his prayer is that he knew what his role was and he did it. Now, let's not miss the significance of this in this case. This is Jesus, God the Son, praying to God the Father, and he says, I did what I was supposed to do. So I don't, I don't want anybody to answer out loud here. I don't want any, any embarrassment or anything like that. But can you honestly go to God in prayer today and say, you know, I did what you told me to do today. I did, I accomplished what you called me to do. I fulfilled my role in the Christian life today. I don't want you to wear that like I'm trying to beat you up or anything like that. That's a great point of prayer. Because one of of the things I'm trying to do with these Wednesday night studies is to take our prayer lives and all the things that we do well with that around here and let's go to another level with that. And so one of the things we go to, or one of the ways that we go to another level is we personalize it on the intense level. Have I fulfilled my role today? And then as I pray that, it leads me into tomorrow's prayer that says, Lord, I I need to know what my role is. If I don't know what it is, how can I know if I fulfilled it? And so it becomes this morning and nighttime kind of prayer. Lord, help me to do this and then uh, do this and then the evaluation on the end of it is did I do that if not help me to be more efficient and effective in that tomorrow. It's a role fulfillment kind of thing. One of the fallacies, come okay, use a different term. I like to make up words, so, and I'm, I'm not really the one who made this one up, but I'll, I'll use it like I did. Um, churchianity. Heard that term before? Churchianity is where, it's, it's a trap that a lot of Christians fall into. It's where we begin to worship the church rather than Christ, and we slip into a mode where our whole religious experience is more about servicing an organization than it is living in relationship with Jesus Christ. Churchianity. And it's easy to do. As a matter of fact, I think it's one of Satan's greatest um, sleight-of-hand tricks that he's done with the church to get us to believe that just because I'm working busily at a church that I'm automatically being who God called me to be. That just because I'm busy at church that that means that I'm automatically in close, tight fellowship with Jesus Christ. Just because I'm busy at church, I'm fulfilling my role. That's a fallacy. As a matter of fact, uh, One of the things that I say to some people sometimes is that if you are doing anything 
as relates to your Christian service that God has not told you to do, you may well be doing something that he intended somebody else to do. Our role is critical. It's critical that we know it. It's critical that we do it. And so that means that it needs to be part of our everyday prayer life. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not trying to get people to just jump off of the train and stop doing stuff at church. That's not my deal at all. I'm just saying our role in the way we're put together spiritually is that when we do that which God equipped us to do, we find fulfillment like we find it nowhere else in the Christian life. So find your role. We we shouldn't just speed through these first few verses and miss what Jesus is saying here. I did what you sent me to do. He knew what it was. He knew that it was done. And that opened the door for him to say, this is kind of one of those, this is a whole nother sermon. It's why I decided to just kind of slow it down tonight. Uh, The hour has come. That's the first part of verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Well, first of all, what hour is that? And secondly, how did Jesus know that? You ever wonder about God's timing on stuff? Well, that's another sermon. By the way, here's a corollary for you on the whole role thing, and then we're going to move to purpose. The, the, the twin truth with the one that I just got through spending about 10 minutes on, okay, 20, uh, the twin truth is that your role in God's kingdom may change. In fact, I'd almost guarantee you that it's going to change over a period of time, at least at some level. You know how I know that? And I look across this room. Most of us have experienced what I'm about to say. Your role as a parent changed as your kids moved from one stage to the next, right? You know, Teresa has said for a long time now, it's a lot more difficult to parent adult children than it was when they were really small, Right? See, that collective groan tells me that that connected with you, right? Our roles change in life. It changes as an individual works from an entry-level position at a job into and through their career. Their role changes, but they're still who they are. So in your Christian experience, it may well be that as you go, God may say, you know what, I'm going to move you over here now. I'm going to put some work in front of you now that may be not really what you're used to doing in my kingdom's work. Uh, so that means that you need to know that that's where that prayer comes in on a regular basis. God, what is my role? What do you need me to do? What am I supposed to be doing? And help me to do it. All right, so that's role. Let me get on to purpose, which is really what I wanted to end up uh, a long time ago. Uh, if the definition of role is that it's a character, or it's a part that someone plays or performs. Purpose, here's the definition. It is the object toward which one strives or for which something exists. Let's do it this way. You, most of us, ate supper here tonight, right? What is the purpose? Would you help me out? Take that spoon right there in front of you. Just hold it up. What's the purpose of a spoon? In case, you, in case you didn't know what a spoon looks like, he's helping me out. Okay. All right, thank you. All right. What's the purpose of a spoon? Did you try to cut your chicken with that spoon? Why not? That's not its purpose. It doesn't cut it. It doesn't work. Well, you, you put enough uh, force on that spoon, it might cut chicken. But it's not what it's designed for. 
The purpose of the spoon is different than the purpose of the knife. That's why you have a knife and a spoon and a fork. You ever try to use a knife as a fork? I had to do that backpacking one year because I left my fork behind. You know what? I, I was really afraid that I was going to end up extending my smile way up here because okay, there's a reason that we have silverware the way we do, right? It is for its purpose. And not knowing what our purpose is makes for a confusing life. Let me talk about my wife's dog. We were talking about Pixie a little bit at one of our tables tonight before we got started here. But I've told you a little bit about her in the past. Pixie is a part Chihuahua, part Yorkshire Terrier, and mostly human. She weighs four pounds. And her whole existence, her whole existence makes no sense to me. I don't really know unless her, okay, I'm trying to get to what her purpose is, right? I guess maybe her purpose is to make sure that our back door gets opened on a regular basis. I'm not real sure about that. Pixie, she has several places in the house that are her throne rooms. And she'll go there, and when she crawls into her bed in one part of the house, and that's her throne, and she, she rules her kingdom from there. And she has a place uh, at one of the couches, and that's her throne. And when she's there, that she rules her kingdom from there. But as a rule, I can't figure out what her purpose is. Except maybe, uh, as I was saying with some of our folks when we started, maybe she's a rescue dog. And her purpose was rescuing my wife, sent by God at a key time in Teresa's life, uh, that really ministered to her in a weird dog kind of a way. Not knowing our purpose makes for a confusing life. Look again at verse 1. As I said, this is the introduction to the prayer, he, or to the whole prayer in chapter 17. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. And now here's the purpose statement. Notice what Jesus says, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. This is not a role statement. This is not a character that Jesus played, so to speak. This is a purpose statement. Now, he asks to be glorified, but the purpose of that, the intent of that glorification is that he might glorify the Father. Now, we could work our way through this. As a matter of fact, in your own study, if you want to do this, work your way through chapter 17 and see how many times this theme bubbles to the surface where Jesus talks about glorifying the Father or being glorified, the Father being glorified, whether it's through him or his disciples, the ones who will come after that. What we find here is this purpose kind of a statement. Our purpose, your statement and mine, your purpose and mine is that we might glorify God. There are different denominations that we would consider to be evangelical or at least tied to that in one way or another. And some of their controlling documents and the way they teach their people say that man's ultimate end is to glorify God. 
This is, this is what Jesus was about, according to what he says here. I've done what you called me to do. And so now in this last hour, the time has come, the hour has come, he says, glorify me, not for my own sake. That's that prayer of Jabez, mm, pseudo sort of almost heretical kind of stuff of a number of years ago. Just bless me and I'll bless you in return. That's a selfish thing. And, oh, by the way, I'll return the blessing for you. Jesus is driven by glorify God. Let's put that into our churchianity model that I was talking about. Sometimes we can fall into a trap that says that we glorify God by reading our Bible every day and by uh, singing in the choir or teaching a Sunday school class or serving on a committee and Our churchianity becomes, okay, so I'm going to glorify God with that. That's a cheap substitute for glorifying God. And we're going to talk more about glorifying God as we go forward. But in this part, we're talking about something that reaches to the innermost part of our hearts. That our every waking moment, we recognize that we are His. And our responsibility, our privilege, our vocation... All of that is to honor God and glorify Him in our lives, in our work, in our roles that we play. So Jesus' prayer gives us a little bit of an uncomfortable add-in to that. How is it that Jesus is going to glorify the Father based on what John 14 through 17 teaches us? And the answer is, He's going to die. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be ridiculed and mocked. And ultimately, they're going to take him like a common criminal and nail him to a cross and die the most horrific death that was possible in those days. Jesus says, I'm going to put it in our language. I don't want to be too casual with this, but I think we need to understand. Jesus says, the hour has come. Bring it on. Because this is what glorifies you. It's not the death that glorifies God, necessarily. I know that's a theological big statement. It's the fact that Jesus says, I do this because that's what you've called me to do. And in doing this, the effect of this glorifies God. So what I want you to get from that is that when you start praying that God would help you fulfill your purpose, which is to glorify him, Be aware that that package may come in some of the very things that we usually pray that God gets rid of in our lives. We don't like pain. As a matter of fact, walk into any drugstore, pharmacy, Walgreens, CVS, whatever, walk into any one of those stores and and you will find row upon row of different chemicals that they're selling to help people not hurt. But Jesus says, in order to glorify you because of the role that you've given me to play, bring it on. Do you pray that way? Let me ask you not to pray that way for your pastor. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, the most, the most effective prayer that we can ever pray is, Father, be glorified in my life, in my church, 
in my activities. Let it all glorify you, whatever that takes. Let's pray. And so, Father, we come wanting to be able to pray that. But in our most honest response, we have to, we have to look at that and go, it's hard for us to pray that way. So help us to be honest about that. And then help us to come in line, to be aligned with our purpose and that our prayer lives would reflect that. Help us to be really effective in our roles, but help us to do that because we always seek first and foremost to glorify you. May you be glorified through this great church and through these folks who come because we all want to serve you and to be what you want us to be. So help us with that, please. Give us courage to face those times and those situations that are not what we really want, but are what we really need according to your plan. And help us to reach out into a community that desperately needs the love of Jesus Christ. And help us to go first in prayer. In Jesus' name. Thank you.